Good morning. It's good to see you this morning, to be able to be here with you, to worship our God together. It has certainly been an encouraging and uplifting time of worship. If you're visiting with us, we want to welcome you. I know we do have a lot of visitors with us this morning. We want to let you know we're excited to have you. We're excited to have you here worshiping God together. As we made mention, or as I made mention just a moment ago, it's been an encouraging time so far being together, worshiping God together, speaking to him as we have, praising him in song as we have. I was just thinking as we were singing How Great Thou Art that Morgan led us in, I took notice, what an incredible song that is and how applicable it still is today and the incredible praise and glory that we can give to God. And it really showcases his greatness. But a song written in 1886, 1886, and how powerful it continued to be even today in 2021. It is remarkable, not to the writer of that song, but to the greatness of our God. And certainly he is worthy to be praised. And so what an incredible time, an uplifting time that we've had so far. But what a good opportunity that we have to open up God's word and to study from it. And that's exactly what we'll do this morning. What we're going to do this morning is one of really, in a lot of ways, one of the most favorite things that I enjoy doing in my own study. And that's taking the entirety of a book of the Bible and boiling it down to a couple of things. And so that's what we're going to do this morning. And so we could go in a couple of different ways with that, right? We could take a ginormous book of the Bible, and I can boil that book down into 20 or 30 minutes and give us a few things to think about. Or I could take that same ginormous book of the Bible and spend, I don't know, three or four hours doing that. And most of you would sit here nicely and patiently, probably about an hour and a half or two hours from now. Maybe we get a few that would get up and go to the bathroom, maybe a few that would look at their watch. But for the most part, you're good people. I think you'd just sit there and take it. I do. But I'm not going to test that this morning, if you're wondering if I am. I'm not going to test that this morning. But there is another direction that we can go, is taking a tiny book of the Bible and spending a few minutes there. And that's what we're going to do this morning. So I'd like to ask you to open your Bibles to the tiny book of 2 John. And we're going to spend our time studying from 2 John this morning. A, a study that I believe will remind us of something that we can use immediately. Something helpful. That each and every one of us, no matter of our circumstance, no matter of our situation in life, but each and every one of us can take the principles that we see given to us by God in the book of 2 John and make them useful in our life immediately. Now, as we open up the book of 2 John, we're going to look through its entirety here in just a moment. We're going to read it and point out some things along the way. We're going to end the lesson with what I believe is the one big takeaway, and so certainly you know, be waiting for that, but it's going to come at the very end. As the book itself opens up, you know, it's interesting in the way that this epistle, and that's ultimately what it is, it's a letter, it opens up. It opens up in what is seemingly something pretty specific or written to someone pretty specific. In Second John verse 1, just that one chapter, it says to the elect lady and her children. So it says the elder, as John is writing this, to the elect lady and her children. Now, predominantly, there are really two schools of thought that this elect lady and her children are. 
I'm going to give you both of those. I'm going to tell you which way I lean, and then I'm ultimately going to tell you it doesn't make a huge difference this morning, whichever of those things you think about. So I'm going to actually toss both of them kind of out the window, but I will give you kind of something to think about. But generally speaking, the thought process is that John is writing to this elect lady and her children, and he has in mind someone very specific, a specific woman that he knows, that he is uh, certainly fond of, that he has met along the way. And he's writing this letter to her specifically and making mention of specifically her own children. That is a pretty common way to look at this letter. Uh, Really, another common way to look at this letter is that it's not necessarily about someone specific, a very specific lady, but it's written about or to a specific congregation. And the people, the children that are there, the people, the saints that are worshiping there. Now, I'll tell you, personally, I lean slightly towards the latter. But I want you to understand the principles that are in this book isn't going to make a huge difference. Because I'll tell you why I really have been thinking a lot about this book lately is our study in our Bible class of the home and family class. Of really honing in, because that's where we're studying, as certainly the father and as a husband of being the keeper of the home, the protector of the home. And so I want us to see this morning that this book of 2 John, it's going to cause us to see that we are the guardians of our homes, the church, or even individually our own heart. That I'm the guardian of my own heart. I'm the one that has to protect my heart. What gets in there to do damage? Ultimately, I am the protector or guardian of my home to make sure nothing gets in there to do damage, just like I am a protector of this church, doing everything that I can to make sure nothing gets in here to do damage. That should be every one of us. And so in whatever capacity you want to think, and that's why I boiled it down to even our own individual hearts, every single one of us is in a position to make the application of the principles we're going to talk about this morning. Even if it is in one of those areas, or for a lot of us, application in all of those areas. And so this morning, I want us to see this book is very simple in its teaching. But it is a strong and a really important reminder for us to take guard. And so we're going to go through this together. I'm going to point out some things along the way, as I've made mention of, that I think stand out, and then ultimately working towards the one principle that I think is there. All right, let's begin. The idea in every way is John is going to begin this letter with the idea and the importance of knowing the truth. I had read there from John chapter 8, a really interesting passage where Jesus is making the point that, listen, he is the truth. He is the truth. He is the way. He is the life. He is those things. And he speaks the truth. The very end of that passage, that's the point that he's going to make. You, as he's talking to the Jews there, are are thinking about these things, but I want you to know I speak the truth. 
that comes from the Father. I speak the truth. And I love the simplicity, the straightforwardness, if you will, of John 8 and verse 40. I I speak the truth that comes from the Father. And so it's just an interesting way that the idea of truth is used. And you see something very similar in this little book of 2 John. So let's take a look. 2 John, we're going to look just beginning at verses 1 through 3. Hopefully you're there by now. Let's read it together. 2 John, verse 1. The elder to the elect lady and her children, whom I love in truth, not only I, but also all those who have known the truth, because of the truth which abides in us and will be with us forever. Grace, mercy, peace will be with you from God the Father, from the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father, in truth and love. And, and so, I listen, I emphasized, I know I did, so hopefully you were able to catch it, but just in these three verses, the word truth is the focus. It is found just in these three verses, not once, not twice, not three times, but four times. John makes mention in the opening of this, the word or the idea of truth. And so the point that he's making is to know the truth is important. And so he makes the point that Christ is the truth. God's word is truth. But what's really interesting about the use of truth, not just here, but throughout the pages of the New Testament, is it's not only used as kind of in an objective way about the revelation of God's word. It is the truth. But it's also used, not just here, but all over the New Testament, in a subjective way, as in the experiences that we have in our life. Look here close. Not only can we know the truth, but we can love in the truth and also live for the truth's sake. And so all of those things are working together. And I think the point that's being made is that he is reminding us ultimately this morning that our life, the entirety of our life, is controlled by a love for the truth and a desire to magnify it. I want us to understand this morning, that is what the entirety of our life should be driven by and directed by. A love, a a, a love, a joy of the truth, but not just that, our desire to magnify it, to lift it up. Now, John opens the letter up this way for a pretty specific reason that we'll get into here in just a second. But the reason is that there are lots of people that will try to destroy, distort the truth, pervert the truth. And because of that, you must guard it. You must protect it. I want us to see in this tiny little book, to John there is a dramatic, even a deadly difference between truth and error. And he's going to make the point that error simply cannot in any capacity be tolerated. Now, I want you to think about that phrase, and I want you to think about our culture. Because our culture tolerates everything. Tolerates everything. Our culture waters down error. Our culture renames error. 
Our culture fancifies error. Our culture lifts up error. Our culture does all of those things. And the drastic difference in truth and error that we see in the page of the New Testament, not just here in this little book of Second John, but throughout God's Word, the drastic difference of those two things Our culture is trying to muddy that water and gray that area. And John is here reminding each and every one of us there is a dramatic difference in truth and error. A dramatic difference, a deadly difference. If you remember just recently, a couple of weeks ago, I know Nate Hawk, lover of the world, remembers. Right? Yeah. If you remember, we used that illustration of Nate as the world. And we said, as we stood up here, and he was standing right next to us, that sometimes that's the most comfortable thing, because it doesn't seem as if I'm really that different. And being different is awkward, and being different is uncomfortable, and being different is hurtful. But the reality is, we are dramatically to be different. Because truth and error are that different. And John is making the point that when it comes to truth, you are driven by it. You will know it. You will revel in it. You will be in it. So much so that the next point that he makes is you will walk in it or you will live in it. And so this opening that we have, he builds upon. Look at 4, 5, and 6 of Second John. He says, I rejoice greatly that I have found some of your children walking in truth as we have received commandment from the Father. And now I plead with you, lady, not as though I wrote a new commandment to you, but that which we have had from the beginning, that we love one another. This is love, that we walk according to his commandments. This is the commandment that as you have heard from the beginning, you should walk in it. And so now the idea is, hopefully you took notice, the word truth in verses 1, 2, and 3 is used over and over and over again. And now in verses 4, 5, and 6, the word commandment is here over and over and over again. Because to walk in the truth means to obey it. It means to allow it to direct our lives. I want you to notice that this paragraph, and that's what I've done with 2 John, is kind of broken it up into the three paragraphs that we have. But this paragraph that we have in 4, 5, and 6, I'll give you a quick side note. It may not be this way in all Bibles, but most. Here's a quick publishing side note outside of the lesson. Just tip for you. Most Bibles will have highlighted numbers. This is just a quick little free tip. Highlighted numbers, not all probably, but most. And that highlighted, that bolded number is the beginning of a paragraph. It kind of gives you an idea of a good, easy breakdown. And so this paragraph, 4, 5, and 6, notice begins and ends with an emphasis placed upon obedience. I mean, the paragraph begins and ends with this emphasis. And John indicates, as he sees this woman and her children walking, living in the truth, it brings him incredible joy. Incredible joy. 
But I want you to look close at how he describes this idea of commandment. How does the world view commands generally? I mean, generally, we almost look at the idea of commands or the idea of giving a command as something pretty negative, right? I don't want to be commanded to do anything. I don't want anybody to command me. You know, that, listen, I live in America. I've got the freedom to not be commanded by anybody, right? I mean, that's kind of our mindset sometimes. We see the word command, and we, we, we think in some way that there, there's a weight attached to it. But John wants us to not lose sight about what the idea of God's commands. God's commands are given as an expression of love. How often? All of them. All of his commands are given by an expression of love. And then ultimately what the false teachers or deceivers that we'll talk about here in just a moment, what they want us to understand and what they want us to think and what they want us to see is that these commands that we have from God are weighty or they are harsh or they are difficult. Too much, too high, too far. But yet if we're thinking and understanding that God is commanding out of love, why would he give us things that are harsh or weighty? Or too much. He wouldn't do that. He wouldn't do that. And so when we understand that God's laws are given to us out of love, that should have us to understand and to think and to see. No, they're not to be unbearable in any capacity. God's law is not unbearable to the Christian. God's laws are not unbearable to the life that we want to live. It's something that should be easy, something that should be that we would want because we understand they're given to us out of love. And so you see this theme of truth and love and obedience and how they often work together. There's an interesting cycle that takes place. And for all of us who are Christians, we've kind of been on this cycle, whether we know it or not. But there's an interesting cycle with this truth, love, and obedience that happens really over and over and over and over. Because, listen, it is believing in the truth that we're saved from our sins. It's believing in that. Believing in the truth in orders us. It puts us in a position to be saved from our sins. The evidence of that salvation is love and obedience. But what is also interesting is love and obedience are strengthened as we grow in our knowledge of the truth. And so you see all of those things continually working together. Our love and our obedience being strengthened by our knowledge of the truth. And so John wants these folks to know You've got to know the truth for sure, but you've got to walk in the truth. And then ultimately, why? Why is that so important? And I think it really comes to the punch of this letter. Is we've got to abide in that truth. Because attacks ultimately will come. Look at what he says 7 through 11. He says, for, or therefore. So now it's the why, right? The why is given. Why, why is it that we need to walk in the truth? Why is it that we need to know the truth? For, for many deceivers have gone out into the world who do not confess Jesus as 
the Christ is coming in the flesh. This is a deceiver and an antichrist. Look to yourselves that we do not lose those things which we have worked for, but we may receive a full reward. Whoever transgresses and does not abide in the doctrine of Christ does not have God. He who abides in the doctrine of Christ has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this doctrine, do not receive him into your house nor greet him. For he who greets him shares in his evil deeds. So I want you to understand the point now that John says is, listen, you've got to know what the truth is. You've got to walk in the truth. Ultimately, you have to abide in the truth. You have to dwell in it. Why? Well, because these deceivers are coming. These deceivers are going to be there. And so what he does is he he goes and moves ultimately from encouraging truth now to opposing this error. What we need to see is whether you're looking this morning and thinking more about needing to guard your family from this error, or guard the church from this error, or guard your own heart from this error, whichever capacity you're thinking about this morning, or maybe all of those things. The point that John wants us to know is it takes constant spiritual diligence to make that happen. you're thinking about your family and the deceivers that are trying to attack that family, which John references as many deceivers that are attacking that family. It takes constant spiritual diligence to make sure that doesn't infiltrate your family. How often? All the time. How many days? All of the days. How many hours? All of the hours. Because the moment that we step aside or the moment that we become lazy or the moment that we take a break, we open the door for these deceivers to come in. Now we can do that with our families. We can do that with the church. We can do that with our own heart. John wants us to understand there's many of these folks around. Why does he do that? Why does he make that point? Why does he make the point that there's many of them? Well, he makes that point because we've got to be on guard all the time. If there was one that we could repel and you get rid of that one, then I'm I'm, I'm good to go. But no, there are many. So for me as a father... In my marriage to my wife, I've got to be on constant guard in that arena. As a father to my three children, I cannot let up even for a moment lest one of them get snatched away. Now you might say, boy, that sounds like a lot. Yeah, it is. It is a lot. You ask our elders here how often they spend time thinking about the 
the flock here. And how diligent they are to make sure that error doesn't creep in. I think there's a chance you'd be surprised what their answer is today. Because it takes diligence. Even individually. Individually, I cannot let up in any capacity. And so what John does is he points out that if we do, there are dangers that come from that. He points to three of them. The first he gives us in verse 8, there's a danger of going back. Losing ground, losing what has already been gained. God wants us to receive the full reward. That's what he wants. He wants us to receive the reward that he has given. And he wants us to have that. But there is a danger if we allow these deceivers to creep in. There is a danger of going back. But there's also a danger, verse 9, of going ahead or going beyond is maybe a better word there. I use the word ahead because it goes better with going back ahead and with. It worked better words-wise. But reality is, maybe our idea is going beyond. He makes the point there in verse 9 that there is a danger of going beyond what the limits of God's word is. There's a danger in living that way. Because he makes the point, if a person does not abide in the true doctrine that is there, he doesn't have the father or the son. I don't know how any more straightforward he can get about the teaching there. If you're not going to abide and dwell in the doctrine of Christ, you're not going to have the Father or the Son. But then he closes that idea with the danger in going with, just going along. We need to make sure that ultimately we don't find ourselves just sharing in the air. See, that's what happens if I'm not diligent. That's what happens if I just crack open an opportunity for error. The danger is there for me to go backwards or for me to go beyond or for me to ultimately go with. And so as we kind of pull this whole thing together, I made mention of, to me, Second John is a strong reminder. And like so many other passages in the pages of the New Testament, the reminder is you need to be alert. I want you to think just for a second as we close. How many books, verses, paragraphs, teachings of Jesus, parables, pages in the New Testament can be boiled down to this warning. Maybe that'll be a good lesson for John to do in the future. I mean, think about it. I mean, think about this warning and how often it's given. Why? Because the danger is not only real. That's why you give a warning like this. The danger is real. But also the danger is constant. And the danger is big. 
And so because of that, I've got to be alert. And really, what an incredible reminder that is for us today. As we go throughout this week, and we live our lives, and we live with our families, and we worship together as a church here at this place, we think about our own walk, the importance to be alert. Why? Because if not, error creeps in, and we find ourselves with no relationship with God. And ultimately, it is the only relationship that matters. And this morning, as we're thinking about that, and Morgan is going to lead us in a song of invitation, it gives us an opportunity as we consider that relationship to make sure that I understand and I'm living a life that is in stark contrast to the way that the world lives. That I'm living a life where there is a dramatic difference in truth and error. And I'm walking and abiding in the truth. And I'm leading myself in that way. And I'm leading my family in that way. Because my relationship with God is that important. And as we sing this song of invitation, encouraging each and every one of us to think about that relationship. Ultimately, the only relationship that makes a difference. And so it's the one that we've got to make sure is right. And it may be you're here this morning and there's something that needs to be done. With that relationship, it may be because of sin on your heart, there isn't a relationship at all. Let's do something about that sin this morning. Let's have it washed away in the waters of baptism so you can have a relationship with God. Or maybe like we saw in Second John, you have in your relationship, in your life, when it comes to the truth, when it comes to God, you've gone back or you've gone beyond or you've even walked with the world. Let's do something about that today. That maybe we can help you in some capacity. If that's the case, you let us know as we stand.